text this afternoon is from Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. <clears throat> And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, <clears throat> whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. After the sermon, we will sing in response from Psalm 25, stances 5, 7, and 10. Beloved congregation of the Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. We all know who Abraham is. The Bible tells us that he is the father of all believers. We also know what the covenant is. The Lord God made a covenant with Abraham and his offspring. The covenant is a contract. It is consists of promises and demands, something you bind yourself to. And every time a baby is baptized, we are reminded that that covenant contains those two parts, a promise and a demand, and that there are two parties to the covenant, God and the believers and their seed. The covenant is a divine contract of love established by God the Father. We also know that in the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. But... Do you know what circumcision stood for and why that is no longer a sign of the covenant? Do you know exactly what it signified? And do you know why it is still important for us to know that today? Well, that's what I will teach you, preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is, with circumcision, the Lord God opens up the way to him. And then we will see that circumcision is in the first place a sign of the covenant. In the second place, shows the extent of the covenant. And finally, in the third place, points to the fulfillment of the covenant. First, then, that we, we will see that circumcision is a sign of the covenant. As I said, Abraham is known to us as the father of all believers. During his lifetime, the Lord wanted Abraham to depend, to depend on God alone, to trust in him. He had to depend on him, and he told him to leave his country and his family and to go where he would show him. He had to trust in God and believe him, and he told him that he would make him the father of many nations. Now, prior to this passage, passage in chapter 15, 
we read that the Lord God took Abraham outside and told him that he would make his offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed, and the Lord reckoned his faith to him as righteousness. But now we are some 23 years later. Abraham is 99 years old. He still does not have an heir. He and Sarah are childless. Nevertheless, Abraham must continue to believe the promise of the Lord that he will give him children through his wife, Sarah, and that he is going to make him into a great nation. To continue to believe, that's hard, especially if you don't see any evidence of God's promises being realized. You need assurance. For now, by now, humanly speaking, it was well nigh impossible that Abraham and Sarah would be able to have a child, at least humanly speaking. And it is for that reason that in chapter 17, the Lord speaks to Abraham again. He knows that Abraham needs to be strengthened in his faith. He wants Abraham to be told again of his covenant ways, how God alone is the one who gives life, both physical life and eternal life, that he is the God of miracles. Everything is possible with him. But Abraham also has to understand that God realizes his promise in his way and in his time. That's hard for us mortals to deal with. It's hard for us to wait. And that is why here in this chapter, the Lord gives him a sign of his covenant promises. And he gives them the sign of circumcision. Abraham needs a signpost, something physical that he can clutch onto, something that keeps reminding him of the certainty of God's promises. We all need that. But he also had to respond to God's promises. He was given God's blessings, but he must also be a blessing. He must walk in the ways of the Lord. And so here we see the elements of a covenant already, a promise and demand. But time and again, the Lord God renews that covenant with Abraham. In chapter 15, just after his defeat of Kedar Leomer and the kings who were with him, the Lord God seals his covenant by going through the blood of the animals, which had been cut into two. In this way, he confirmed his covenant with Abraham. Now in chapter 17, the Lord adds another dimension to the sign of the covenant. He now adds the sign of circumcision. The act of circumcision as such was not new to Abraham. It was already known to the people of the ancient Near East of Abraham's day. Virtually all the nations around already practiced circumcision. Only the Mesopotamians, from which Abraham himself came, and the Canaanites in the land of Palestine, among whom Abraham now lived, did not practice this rite. But no doubt they were also familiar with that custom, for they were aware of each other's practices through the contacts 
they had with each other. For that reason, it was not necessary for the Lord to tell Abraham how exactly to perform the circumcision rite. <clears throat> Abraham could find that out easily enough from the slaves who were part of his household, for among them were also Egyptians who widely practiced the rite of circumcision. Think, for example, of Hagar, who was an Egyptian. Yet the Lord does add a totally new element to circumcision. For now he ties circumcision to his covenant promises and demands. As we know from archaeological records in the ancient Near East, circumcision had a completely different purpose. With them, the practice was closely tied to marriage. It was done to prepare a young man for marriage. He was circumcised in order to remove any possible hindrance to intercourse and thereby to prevent any hindrance to bring forth offspring. And it was the task of the future father-in-law to perform the rite. Therefore, in the ancient languages of that day, the father-in-law was referred to literally as the circumciser. The heathens believed that when the father-in-law removed the foreskin of his son-in-law, that then an obstacle to the creation of life would be removed. Of course, today we know that circumcision is not necessary. It's not a necessary medical procedure to produce children. If it was, then the Lord God would not abolish the practice in the New Testament. And also, the medical profession of today would require it of every male boy. But the point is that in the ancient Near East, the people believed that circumcision removed the obstacle to normal marital relations and that it facilitated the creation of life. But now, look at how the Lord God makes that concept, that new element in the covenant, clear to Abraham. For what does he do? Well, first he commands that all males in Abraham's household are to be circumcised not as a preparation for marriage, but as a preparation for the Lord. For that reason, the Lord does not want the males to be circumcised at the time just before their marriage, but already at the tender age of eight days old. He wants all the males to be circumcised when they are barely out of the womb. In this way, the Lord God shows that he is the creator of life. And that if there are any obstacles to life, that he is the one who removes those obstacles. The openings and passages to life are totally in his hands. This is an especially important message for Abraham at this time of uncertainty. For the Lord God had given Abraham the promise of new life. He had promised him a son. Indeed, he had promised him more than a son. He had also promised to make him the father of many nations. Yet, at this point, he was still without offspring. Oh, sure, he had Ishmael as a son, but ultimately, blessing of the Lord would not come through Ishmael, but through a son brought into the world through Abraham and Sarah. He would do that even though they are right now in an advanced age. 
Romans 4 verse 19, it says that at this juncture in his life, Abraham's body was as good as dead. Oh, sure, after the death of Sarah, he would still have six more sons by his second wife, Keturah, as we can read in Genesis 25. But Sarah was certainly beyond childbearing age. Her womb was dead, as it says in Romans 4. Humanly speaking, both Abraham and Sarah were no longer able to have children. And it is in that regard that they were as good as dead. Physically, they were beyond childbearing years. And now God wants to show to Abraham that life does not depend on man. But that life depends on God. Something that you and I must believe as well. Also, when we get sick, or a loved one gets sick, medicine and doctors and hospitals will do a lot of things, but ultimately not too much. All they can do is prolong, prolong life a little bit or make it a little less painful. But it's all so temporary and so inadequate. The only thing that is sure is that God is the God of life. The eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who creates life and he is the one who sustains life. And that is something that Abraham had to learn. And that's something that you and I have to learn as well, time and again. We have to trust in him and wait for him, no matter how hard that is and no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. God calls Abraham the father of all believers. He calls him that because of the covenant that he made with him and which extends to all generations who believe. And so it applies to you, to me. The sign of the covenant is a reminder that not only earthly life depends on the Lord, but also, and most importantly, eternal life. And you receive that through faith. Now we get to a deeper understanding of circumcision. As I said, the way of eternal life is only through the Lord God. Abraham is blessed not so much because of the physical offspring. No, he is blessed because of the spiritual offspring. That is why he is called the father of all believers. Through Abraham, the seed of the woman as announced in paradise after the fall into sin would continue. And you know... To whom the seed of the woman ultimately referred, don't you? Ultimately, the seed of the woman would culminate in the birth of Christ. He would be the head of the church, which is the gathering of true believers. The covenant is not made in the first place through the flesh, but through faith. And therefore, it's not an automatic thing. And so, the church does not grow and increase through the opening of the womb in the first place, but through the opening up of God's word. He comes to us with his word of promise. He says to us, to you, to me, as he does to Abraham, that he is our father and that we are his children through adoption. 
He comes to us with the promise of eternal life. His promise comes through God alone. Our lives are not in our own hands or in anybody else's hands. Only he can give physical life so that members of the church are born who can have a special relationship with God through faith. Without faith, ultimately, there is no life. Whereas the pagans believe that an obstacle to life is removed through circumcision, God shows in circumcision that life is in his hands and that he can, that he only can remove any obstacle to life. Life is not in the hands of man. It's in the hands of God. And that's why he makes circumcision a sign of the covenant. He also gives us the wonderful news that his covenant is everlasting time and again. You hear that in scripture. And that means that our life continues beyond the grave. When in the life hereafter, we will dwell with God forever. You can taste his presence now. He is among us right now if you open up your heart to him. And this is possible only, you can only open your heart if the obstacle of sin is removed. Now we are digging a little deeper yet to the true meaning and the most significant part of circumcision as a sign and seal of the covenant. Circumcision, brothers and sisters, has to do with the removal of sin. It points to the restoration of life with God. Isn't that also what he promised? He promised time and again that he will remove the obstacle of sin through the shed blood. And you know what the shed blood points to, don't you? It points to the blood of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, with circumcision, the foreskin of the male reproductive organ would be removed and thrown away. Why? Well, the removal of the foreskin symbolizes the removal of sin. In this way, circumcision looked forward to the coming of Christ who would remove the sin of the world. For what is the obstacle to eternal life? Sin. Sin is the obstacle to life. If our sin were not removed through the blood of Christ, it would never be possible for man to live with God. And for that reason, blood also takes on such a deep significance in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, the blood of the animals had to be shed in a sacrifice acceptable to God. Blood would have to be shed to point to the removal of sin. And that blood pointed to the blood to be shed by the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to shed his blood before the obstacle of the sin of man could be removed. In the circumcision act, blood had to be shed as well. As it says in Hebrews 9 verse 18, Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Also that shedding of blood looked forward to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. After Christ, blood no longer had to be shed. And so circumcision was no longer a sign of the covenant. 
baptism took its place. Circumcision looked forward to Christ, but baptism looks back at what Christ has done. Baptism, baptism points to the cleansing through the blood of Christ, to the wonderful event that happened on Golgotha. That's why we now use water to cleanse us, to symbolize the cleansing from sin. And that is why Paul in Colossians 2 verse 11 calls baptism the circumcision made without hands. A male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. During the Sinaitic legislation, a woman was unclean until seven days after she had given birth. On the eighth day, she would be considered clean. On the eighth day, a child would no longer be rendered unclean by his mother touching him. And that illustrates yet another point. In reality, a child was unclean from the first day of his birth, also after the seventh day. That is why David exclaimed in Psalm 51 verse 5 that he was sinful at birth, sinful from the time his mother conceived him. Ultimately, only God can remove the stain of sin. Now, that's something you have to believe. Because in this way, you give the honor and glory to him. You and I, we're nothing without him. Our sin needs to be removed through the blood of Christ. And that is why we have to bring our children up with that Wonderful, delightful covenant knowledge. As children grow up, they also have to learn to accept that act of cleansing through faith. We and our children must believe that only God gives the openings to life. Already in the circumcision act, the ritual cleansing through the Lord Jesus Christ is present. For in the final analysis, the same holds true with baptism as does with circumcision. The covenant has its continuation through faith. God first comes to man with his promises. It's also what he did with Abraham. He comes with his promises first. But then he also comes with the demand of his covenant. Abraham must accept this covenant in faith. He has to listen to God's word. He has to open up his heart and his mind to him. In this way, we also see the symbolic significance of circumcision when the Lord tells his people Israel in Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 that they must circumcise the foreskin of their hearts and elsewhere that they must circumcise their ears and that they must speak with uncircumcised lips. He warns them that their hearts and their ears and their lips are not to be plugged up with sin so that they are not open to the God of life. Someone whose ears are plugged up because of sin and whose heart is closed to the Lord cannot receive the gift of life. God's people, you and I, must listen to the Lord. We must open up our hearts to him so that he can enter. You know what that means? 
No, that means that we must repent from our sins time and again. You and I, we must go on our knees every day to ask for the forgiveness of sins and need it. But note well that we are not just to accept God's forgiveness, but that we must also, and that goes hand in hand, it should naturally goes hand in hand, that we also must forgive others their sins. Isn't it true that when you and I, when we pray, we often just pray for the forgiveness of our sins. But the Lord Jesus time and again teaches us, as he does also in the Lord's Prayer, the perfect prayer, that we must forgive the sins of others. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. The great need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ should make us humble. It should remind us of God's great mercy to us. It should remind us of his great love for us. For the Lord God does not want you and me to harden ourselves in our sins. By having us deal with the sins of others in a merciful and compassionate way, he gives us an inkling of what it means for him to forgive us. that you have to sacrifice something your hurts the damage that has been caused nothing compared to what it cost God's son to forgive us the covenant is not just with individuals it's with God's people and because of the blood of Christ we are a forgiven community it says in our text that every male child had to be circumcised. It included all those who were, brought, who were bought with money from a foreigner. And here we also see the extent of the covenant. Second point. Abraham was the head of a very large household. He had many slaves who were under his jurisdiction. He was responsible to them as a father is responsible to his own children. In extending his covenant to his whole household, we see the great mercy of God. He uses Abraham to be a blessing to all those who are under his roof. He makes a covenant with all of them. And in this, the Lord again shows that the covenant does not depend on the flesh, but on the good pleasure of the Lord God alone. He uses Abraham to extend his covenant to his whole household. But by giving the promise to all who are under Abraham's influence, he also gives a great responsibility to Abraham. Abraham has to also bring them up in the way of the Lord. It's not just a ritual that you perform. No, he has to be an example to them. He has to show them and teach them how they are to walk with God in faith. God's promises never change. But when the Lord comes to man with his promise, man also has to accept that promise in faith. If you do not accept that in faith, then you exclude yourself from the covenant, then you exclude yourself from God. We see that happen later on with Ishmael. He too had to be circumcised along with the rest of them. But later on, he ridicules his brother, his half-brother Isaac. He laughs at him. 
He does not want to accept that the Lord determines how we would be saved and by whom we would be saved. So in reality, Ishmael denied the Christ, the anointed one from the Lord. Ishmael, too, could have been saved through the covenant, but he did not want to accept God's promises of true life through faith in God. He did not accept the fact that only through Isaac can he, too, be part of the covenant. It says in the text that only the males received the sign of the covenant. Does that mean, then, that the women were not included? Well, that's certainly not the case. God considered it to be sufficient that the promise of the covenant be extended to the woman through the man. And this had to do with the special position the woman held in the Old Testament. It's not so that the woman in the Old Testament had an inferior position to man. The woman is equal to man. Also in the Old Testament. But the position of the woman is different. She had a different role in the history of redemption. A very important role. She would be blessed through the children she would bear. Ultimately, she would be included through Christ. For through Christ, the promise of eternal life extends to her as well as the males. And now we have the fullness of the promise of Christ. Brings us to our final point. After the death of Christ, circumcision as a sign of the covenant was abolished. There was no longer any need to shed blood. Christ's blood was sufficient for all. And furthermore, Christ removed any obstacle which prevented man from being adopted as sons. He removed the obstacle of sin. He opened the way to life, true life to him. We might say that Christ's whole work of redemption was circumcision work, wasn't it? And indeed, that is also what, how the scriptures refer to it. Christ's death is the covenant circumcision which has set us apart to eternity to God. The cross took away the foreskin of our sin. And that is why we read about salvation in circumcision terms. Think about Romans 2, verse 28 and 29, where it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. This praise is not from man, but from God. Think also of Colossians 2, verse 11, which I just referred to a moment ago, where it says about the New Testament believers that in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body and the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What about Philippians 3, verse 3? It says, therefore, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so the Bible speaks of Christ's work of salvation as a circumcision event. And so all of Christ's work was the work of circumcision, the removal of the foreskin of sin. For sure, Christ himself also had to be physically circumcised himself when he was eight days old. 
That was so because he took on the sin of all mankind. He was made sin for man. He came under the law so that he might fulfill the law. For that reason, Christ was also cut off from his people. And he was cut off from God when he hung on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, Golgotha was the ultimate circumcision event. And that is where our Lord and Savior dealt with sin in a most radical way. By doing away with sin, Christ was totally faithful to the covenant. He fulfilled the demand of the covenant and the promise of the covenant. And now, you and I, we too, are part of the covenant through faith. We must believe that Christ died for our sins. And we must put our faith into action. We must not want to have anything to do with sin. Our hearts and our ears must not be plugged up with sin. But they are to be circumcised in Christ. We must believe that Christ has removed all the obstacles for true life. And so we as covenant children have to show our thankfulness by submitting to God's covenant law. You see, Abraham and his household could not just receive the covenant sign and then just sit back and relax. No, Abraham had to accept the covenant in faith. And he had to put his faith into action. And he had to instruct all those who were part of his household in the ways of the covenant. Receiving the sign of the covenant, brothers and sisters, brings with it tremendous responsibilities. Also, for you and me today, we too must instruct our children in the way of the Lord and to have them instructed therein. That does not just mean that we read our Bibles at mealtime and pray and send our kids to a Christian school or to catechism classes. It's all necessary, of course, but that goes without saying. When the children were baptized, we as parents promised to instruct them and to have them instructed in the doctrine of salvation. We have to live up to our promises. But it's much more than that. To teach them properly, we must also be examples of faith, living examples. Our children have to learn from us what it means to trust in the Lord and to walk in his ways. They must see from us that we are not anxious about what tomorrow will bring, but that we are at peace, knowing that God will take care of us, that he will provide for us. They have to see from their parents that we are satisfied human beings, glad for God's material and spiritual gifts, not grumblers who are never satisfied and who find fault, who find fault with everyone and everything. Our children must also see us walking humbly with God in the realization of our sins. We must walk humbly before our children. We must walk humbly with others. And when they wrong us, our children must see that we are willing and eager even to forgive. They must see in us how important it is to keep relationships strong. Our relationship with God 
and our relationship with those who are, our, who are of our household and our extended household. But our children must also learn that God's covenant promises and demands also apply to them. We do not leave it up to them, for example, to choose the Lord, to choose whether or not they should worship him, as the Baptists do. No, the Lord has already made them their children, and the promises are already given to them. And now they have to learn to live out of those promises. How do you think Isaac and Jacob were brought up? They were brought up with those promises that God made to Abraham. To be a covenant child means that you and I speak with circumcision lips and have circumcised hearts and ears. And it means that we walk in closeness to God. And that we listen to him. What he says to us in his word. And in this way we can also be sure that we in our house will receive the blessings of the covenant. We'll be at peace. We'll have a peaceful family. And we can be sure that Christ's act of circumcision is also our act of circumcision. Our sin has been removed through the blood of Christ. The way to God, the way to life has been opened up. That's the blessing of the covenant. Isn't that wonderful? A greater gift man could never receive. Amen.